Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Morning Woods. I'm Miles Tridel, and this story is called He's Watching Me. We buried my son on June 6, 2017. One week earlier, my family had been whole. Me, my wife Kara, our daughter Danny, and little Keaton. My wife and I were never ashamed to admit we had named him after one of our mutual favorite actors, Michael Keaton. I know, it seems silly, but we wouldn't have done it if we didn't also like the name. Keaton was even excited to know he was named after Batman once we watched the 1989 film with him. That day was the beginning of a Batman fanaticism only a child would be capable of. Everything we bought for him, from bedsheets to toothbrushes, had to be Batman-themed at Keaton's insistence. Kara and I were happy to indulge him. I think Kara might have been slightly embarrassed by all the Batman attire in public, but I never was. When we showed up to the public pool, our son waddled through the gate in swim trunks covered in comic book whams, bangs, and pows, and with floaties shaped like bat wings on his arms. His goggles even had a pointed ear on either side to make them more like a superhero mask than a pool accessory. I laughed to myself as I watched the reactions from parents and other children. I think a few of them were jealous. Kara and I set our stuff down near a couple of shaded chairs and told the kids to go have fun. I remember watching Keaton run toward the water making his little plastic wings flap with each step. I'm glad I have that memory because the next time I saw one of those wings is a memory I try every day to forget. It was only 15 minutes after we had sent the kids off to play when Danny came running back to us. She had tears on her cheeks and one black blow-up wing in her hand. What happened after that is kind of a blur. Kara doesn't remember it well either. I just remember running around the pool yelling for Keaton. I remember the useless lifeguard's dispassionate shrugs as I asked them if they had seen a little boy in a Batman swimsuit. I remember the way my head started spinning when I saw Keaton's other wing floating lifelessly in the deep end. I have a hard time talking about this, but I'll summarize it the best I can. The lifeguards didn't see Keaton's body because it was stuck underneath one of the water slides. We assumed it was an accident, but the police checked the pool's security footage anyway. And I'm glad they did. While our daughter Danny was in line to go down the slide, two 12-year-olds cornered our 5-year-old Keaton in the pool. They started to tease him. 
Although the cameras didn't pick up any audio, it was pretty clear they were picking on my son about his Batman stuff. They took his floaties and tossed them away. Keaton started to struggle. The older boys laughed as Keaton bobbed up and down. I don't know why none of the lifeguards could be bothered to notice. The older boys seemed scared when Keaton went down and didn't come back up. One of them gave his body a push towards the deep end where it eventually came up underneath the water slide. The bullies, the murderers, swam away. And so, we buried my son on June 6th, 2017. I went to visit his grave weekly at first, but the visits soon became monthly. Four months after the burial, I went to my son's grave with a Hot Wheels Batmobile in my pocket. I set the toy on top of his headstone, but it slowly rolled off and fell to the ground. I guess the headstone was a little crooked. When I leaned down to pick up the toy, I noticed a strange line in the grass. It looked like the soil above my son's grave had been raised slightly. I prodded it with my fingers. It felt loose and softer than the rest of the dirt. It seemed like something had burrowed underneath it. Before I left the cemetery, I stopped by the caretaker's shed. He was leaning on a shovel and smoking a foul-smelling cigarette. I think you might have a gopher or something digging around here, I told him. I explained the soft ray soil I had found. The caretaker heard me out, but I don't think he cared much about what I told him. Our whole interaction was uncomfortable, and I could tell he just wanted me to leave. Coping at home was difficult. Kara and I had decided right away that we wouldn't fight about Keaton's death. We agreed that either neither of us were to blame, or we both were, so there was no use arguing about it. We also knew we needed to be united so we could help Danny get through the tough time. I think she blamed herself, even though we told her no one was at fault, except the bullies. The guilt seemed to bother her the most at night, in her sleep. She would often wake up screaming or crying. She would say things like, Keaton says a man is watching him, or Keaton wants to know why he won't leave him alone. Kara and I would comfort her by telling her she was just dreaming, that Keaton was in heaven now and no one could bother him. She would become agitated and insist that no, she was not dreaming, and no, Keaton was not in heaven. He was there in her room. She said she would see him standing in the corner, dripping wet and crying. He would stay long enough to tell her, he's watching me. Then he would vanish. After this happened a few times, I decided to pay another visit to Keaton's grave. I truly believed Danny just had an active imagination that was being played on by her grief, but I wanted to talk to Keaton just in case. That might seem silly, or even crazy to you, but if you were in my situation, I think you would understand. There's something comforting about talking to your loved one, even if they can't talk back. I brought Keaton another toy when I visited him. This time, it was a purple car with a sinister Joker smile painted on the hood. Hey buddy, I brought you something, I said as I set the car on the headstone. I turned it so it wouldn't roll off the slanted side. That made me wonder what happened to the little Batmobile I had placed there. Had someone taken it? Your sister says you've been talking to her, I said. I felt uncomfortable and kept looking around to make sure I was alone. I want you to know that we all love you and want you to move on to a happier place. 
Someday your mom, your sister, and I will all be there with you. It's okay to... My voice trailed off as I noticed something on the ground. It was half hidden behind the headstone. The Batmobile. I was glad no one had stolen it and leaned down to place it next to the Joker's car. That's when I noticed the wire. A black, rubber-coated cord that ran down into the dirt right next to where the small toy had fallen. I followed it for about 50 yards, which was enough to make an educated guess about where it led. The caretaker's shed. I saw the caretaker mowing the grass around the perimeter, and he saw me. I waved to him, and he shut the mower off. What is this? I called to him in the loudest voice I'd ever used in a cemetery. He walked over slowly, hesitantly. Oh, this? He asked as he prodded the cable with the toe of his boot. Well, that's standard, sir. It's, it's, it's standard. Standard for what? I asked him. Well, for new graves, you know. I didn't know. And I also didn't think Keaton's grave could be considered new anymore. It's for the temperature, he continued, fumbling his words. The temperature of the, uh, of the ground. It has to be, it has to be just right, you know. I decided the caretaker wasn't going to explain the cable any better and left. I wondered if he just wasn't used to speaking with the living when he spent most of his days among the dead. By the time I got home, I had all but forgotten the strange cord. That night... I was awoken by a familiar but unknown sound. It was a tiny, clickety-clack, like something rolling over the hardwood floor. I rolled over to see if my wife was awake. She was sleeping soundly right next to me. Then I heard the sound again, only slightly different from the first time. I sat up in our bed, alert. That was when the doorknob started to turn slowly until I heard the latch click. The hinges squealed as our bedroom door was opened by someone on the other side. Dad, I heard Danny's nervous voice whisper. I almost laughed. I was so relieved it was only her in the hallway. I asked what was wrong. Keaton asked me to tell you something. Oh, honey, we talked about this, remember? I replied. He says he loves you too, but he can't move on to a happier place until the man stops watching him, she said. My blood ran cold. I told her I'd talk to Keaton at his graveside, but I definitely did not tell her the specific words I said to him. I lied and told her everything was fine. I told her to get back in bed and that I would come tuck her in again. I placed one foot on the cold floor, but the other landed on something else. I almost fell as my foot flew out from under me, as it rolled and kicked something against the opposite wall. The noise startled Kara awake, and she instinctively turned on her bedside lamp. I still can't explain what I saw when that light came on. Near the wall, where it landed, was a tiny little toy Batmobile. And next to my foot, the Joker's smile beamed up at me from the hood of a purple toy car. Not knowing what else to do, I called the police. I didn't tell them about the cars or the voice my daughter was hearing. I told them what my gut had told me I should tell them earlier that afternoon. I told them about the weird black cable that ran from my son's grave to the odd caretaker's shed. 
The next day was a whirlwind of phone calls with officers and detectives. Later in the day, local reporters began showing up and asking for comments and interviews. The mayor himself called me that evening to offer his sympathy and an apology for what the caretaker, a city employee of the municipal cemetery, had done. But we weren't the only family who deserved an apology. See, that black cable started in the caretaker's shed and was connected to a laptop he kept there. It ran underground through a small hole that had been drilled in my son's coffin after it was buried and was attached to a GoPro camera. The police found dozens of videos on the caretaker's hard drive. Each one was a grainy night vision green. The caretaker had been creating time-lapse videos of decomposing human bodies. He had posted many of them online, and I was sickened to hear that they were disturbingly popular. The caretaker was tried for his morbid crimes, but entered a plea of insanity and got off easy. I've tried to learn what happened to him, but can't get a straight answer. The good news is, my son no longer whispers to Danny in the night. I guess he's finally moved on. I took those Batman toys back to the cemetery after all the fanfare about the case died away. They've stayed there ever since. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.